Today's episode is brought to you by BCB Group. You're going to be hearing more about them later on in this interview, which begins right now. We've got a rare conversation today. I'm joined, as always, by Fed Guy Joseph Wang, as well as by our special guest, Scott Skirm, Executive Vice President at Curvature Securities. Scott is an insider in the repo market, which is a huge market. It's you know, quite, you know, not uh, typically understood that well. So I'm really glad that we have someone in the trenches in the repo market. Scott, uh, great to have you here. Could you just quickly tell us, well, what do you do at Curvature Securities and what is the repo market? Okay. The, the, those are, um, the first one's very easy. The, the, the second one's a really big topic of conversation. And I'm sure um, we, we will get into more of the weeds and the, and the depth of it as, as we go. Um, so at, at Curvature Securities, I'll start off by saying uh, I've been in the repo market my entire career. So that's kind of pushing 30 years. Um, I, I don't know if that was good or, or that was bad. Um, I'm, I'm kind of happy where I am now. It, it's kind of nice, you know, being in a market and, and having a lot of experience in it. And, and I am enjoying that aspect of it. Um, but, um, but, but really, that, that's, that, that's, that's all I've done. So, um, so, so I've had a lot of time to, um, to participate and think about the repo market. Um, and, um, and in terms of, you know, curvature securities, we are a broker dealer. Uh, we have clients who are hedge funds, banks, broker dealers, um, and, and we're kind of a middleman in the repo market. So, so, so we're not really a broker. We act as principal, um, but we will run what they call a repo matched book, whereas you borrow securities from one entity and loan them to another. You know, uh, for example, we might, you know, borrow U.S. Treasuries, a hundred million from a uh, hedge fund, and then we loan them to, um, you know, maybe a state or a municipality or something like that 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 that, that has cash that wants to invest. So, so, so that that's kind of what I do. It it, it it's a good business, um, and you know, it has its peaks and troughs like other businesses. It has its times where it's very quiet, like over the last uh, year and a half, and it has times where it's. Um, it's very active. Um, and anytime there's a crisis, uh, there's always a lot of interest in the repo market because, you know, financing and, 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 and I forget my, sometimes I forget my phrase about that. Whereas if the finance industry is the engine that runs the economy or something like that, uh, the, 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 the car of the economy, um, the, the repo market is, is what greases the engine. Um, so, so it's, it, it's, a, it's a very important behind the scenes part. Um, so, so what, so what is the repo market? The, the repo market is in essence borrowing and lending securities. So, um, if you have a cash investor, like a state or a municipality or a bank, um, and, and they want to invest their cash and usually repo is very short term. It can be anywhere from overnight to one year, but most of the uh, repo trading and, and investing and buying and selling is, is very, very short term. So. So a large institu institutional investor that has cash will invest in the repo. And why invest in the repo? Well, it's a collateralized loan. So, you know, if, if you're a big bank and you want to invest your cash at, at, at the current overnight rate, uh, you get to hold the U.S. Treasury security as collateral. Um, so, so it's a very safe investment. And on the other side of it, if, you know, you're a speculative market participant, uh, banks, hedge funds, um, they, they leverage themselves. And if you're going to leverage yourself, um, you know, leverage your trades, you, you basically need to finance those positions. You need to borrow money. Um, so, so, so those are kind of the, the two sides of the, 
the repo equation, you know, in, in kind of a nutshell, it's, you know, leveraged um, uh, speculative traders who need to, to, to finance their treasury positions and cash investors. Um, the, the, the repo market itself, um, and, and, and mostly I'm going to default to, to U.S. dollar repo, which are U.S. treasuries, federal agencies like Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, federal home loan banks. Um, but, um, you know, those are the government securities. There's also repo in corporate bonds and emerging markets bonds. You know, it's, um, you know, I, I, I've had a phrase in the past is, as long as you can price it and you can haircut it, you can pretty much do a repo on, on anything and, and it can be somewhat secure, um, you know, depending on the U.S. Treasury repo is very secure. So, so the repo market's one of the largest repo, one of the largest markets in the world. And it's, you know, kind of defined by, you know, really how big government debt is. And then you add up Fannie and Freddie and their, uh, and Ginny and their bonds and their mortgage backed securities. It, 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 it's a huge, it's a huge market. And there's a, there's a lot of infrastructure kind of dedicated to short term cash funding and, and financing treasury debt. To add on to what Scott mentioned, so the repo market, I think, according to the latest Fed data, it's somewhere between three to four trillion dollars. It's enormous. It's like this market that no one has ever heard of, but it's, as Scott mentioned, super huge and super important. And it's a very opaque market too, because most people who trade in it, you know, they work in big institutions and have these confidentiality agreements. So we're really lucky today to have Scott here being willing to talk to us about what it's like in the repo market and how it's like to actually trade repo. You really can't, there are really not very many places um, where you can learn about this because of all the confidentiality agreements that people who actually work in it have. So, but we're really lucky to have that. Uh, so Scott, since you've been in, in the market for such a long time, can you, can you, do you feel like there's been a big change over the past 20 years in the market? I mean, as I understand the repo market, it used to be bigger. And now it's like, even though the debt is bigger, it seems like there, there's the market itself is not as big as it was pre-GFC. Yeah, so, so that's that's kind of interesting, too. So so the market does move in cycles. And there's a lot of aspects that, 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 that affect the, the, the size of the treasury market and, and the, the treasury repo market and and how volatile it is and um, how it grows and shrinks. So, you know, so, so some of the largest factors are number one, U.S. Treasury issuance. You know, as the Treasury issues more and more debt, the, the, the size of the Treasury market grows and, and the repo market grows also. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the, the Treasury repo market has not grown in the past two years. It's actually probably shrunk because the, the, the Fed has been running a, a QE program. And they've run up the size of the balance sheet from 3.6 trillion or so in 2019 to about 9 trillion right now. So that's about $5 trillion worth of securities that might have normally been in the market right now and that are sitting in the, you know, sitting at the Fed right now, which, you know, a lot of them are coming back into the market in the, in, in the near future. I'm, I'm sure that's a, a, a question pretty soon. So. So overall, I mean, if you look at the market, the repo market 20 years ago, um, it was very different. So it was very bank oriented. So, you know, back then uh, in the 1990s, uh, the, the large global banks had bought up all the U.S. broker dealers or almost all of them. And the, the banks had the balance sheet. Uh, they didn't really have any constraints on balance sheet. So it was actually, um, you know, kind of a thin, you know, the, the spreads were kind of thin in the repo market. For a number of years, however, we we, we did have a, a couple of good crises. 
So when, when there's a crisis, spreads widen and there's a lot of volatility. So, you know, it wasn't a terrible time in the repo market, but there was a lot of competition because the banks were large and the banks were didn't really have any limits to their assets. And the, 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 the banks were trying to attract business. You know, they're, they're trying to attract customers by, by giving those customers financing. So if, 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 if you're very easy on financing a customer's securities, they might do buy and sell more treasuries with you or, you know, um, be part of your, you know, join your prime brokerage, uh, be a customer for you on the prime brokerage. So, so, so banks were very competitive. Um, however, you know, and, and there has been an underlying trend in the repo market, you know, ever since the 1980s, where um, this market has grown and grown and grown. And I, I, I think that the, 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 the Fed has been, you know, somewhat reactive to the market as it continues to grow. So, so, so the Fed has had to change a lot because of the growth, growth in the repo market where, you know, it's, it's, you know, you went from, you know, in the 1980s, some small broker dealers and small balance sheets and, and the market continued to grow and grow. And the, the, the Fed has had to kind of transform to be able to, 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 to fund this debt. And, and, and there's a lot of risk, you know, that, that's, that's emerged over, over the years with 1990s and long-term capital management and financial crisis and banks. And, you know, we, we, we got into repo products earlier, you know, back in before the financial crisis, people were financing CDOs. And, you know, when, when all of a sudden the, the music stopped on the CDOs, you know, you're pricing them for a while, then all of a sudden there is no price for them and, and then the market crashed. So, so there's been a lot of volatility and, and, and the banks have really, really jumped in the repo market in the 2000s. Now, post-financial crisis, the market changed and, and mainly because Dodd-Frank, uh, which put leverage ratios and special um, uh, leverage ratios on the large banks. And you also had the U.S. join Basel III, which you know, not only had the leverage ratios, but for the repo market, it actually had capital charges for repo transactions. So that changed the market a lot. And the market in 2014, 2015 started evolving um, around the, um, the, the, the landscape change for the large banks. So, you know, when there's a leverage ratio, it, it really means that, you know, you're the, the playing field for, the, for, for how large your assets can get are limited. And if you're going to limit a bank's assets, the, the, the repo is the is a, is the smallest spread product that, that you're doing. However, at the same time, and what I mentioned before, is that um, banks use repo and financing to get prime brokerage business from customers and hedge funds. So, so you know, right around 2014, 2015, 2016, the banks really cut back on the size of their balance sheets, and you know, they really reevaluated how much balance sheet they were using. And they started looking at making sure that when they use balance sheet, that they were um, getting enough return on that balance sheet from customers from other products. So that was a, a, a big trend back then. Um, now, over the last few years, um, I would say the, the, the largest trend in, you know, when, when we hit the, the peak of the last cycle, so you, you had the last tightening cycle, which um, peaked around, I don't know, 2018, somewhere in there. Um, but, but at the same time, and you know, the, the market has been used to easing and tightening cycles for, for, for many years, for tens, tens of years. But 
there, there's a new factor in the market, and that's the Fed's balance sheet. And the Fed has run a run a balance sheet, has had a balance sheet for for a very long time, but it hasn't really the balance sheet hasn't really been used for monetary policy. And so, you know, throughout the last QE buying cycle, um, and and the the the, the Fed had, had run up the balance sheet to about four point three billion. Does that sound right, Joseph? I, or is it four point six? Trillion, trillion. Yeah, somewhere around there. So so it got up to four point six and let's say or four point three. And then the the, the 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 Fed had turned around and started putting those securities back into the market. And you know, in, in in a broader sense, what happened when the Fed was putting securities back into the market, they were doing balance sheet runoff at the time. Um, and, and I would define quantitative tightening. I define as the Fed selling securities and balance sheet runoff. I define as the, the Fed letting existing securities mature. So when a when a bond um, pays principal or you know matures, or a mortgage backed security pays pays principal and interest, that, that the Fed was not in reinvesting that 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 money, and then they 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 ran the balance sheet down to about three point six trillion, you know from four point three let's say. And the repo market blew up in September of 2019. And there's there's a lot of causes, you know, that 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 you can look in, in you know at, at that. And you know, and I, I think I put something out. I um, I put out a white paper on it. I just you know basically sat down and write a 10 page paper with graphs and charts and and <laughs> everything. You know, like a couple of weeks after it happened, and, and that was my view. Um, I think Zero Hedge picked it up and 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 reprinted the entire thing in a, in October of 2019. Nice. Um, so so it was available out there. Um, so 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 here's the thing. So you, you know, a lot of academic people kind of blame the repo blow up on uh, you know kind of bank reserves and um, declining bank reserves. And you know, it, it it is connected. You know, with with my view, I I went through a couple other factors in there, um, but. But here's the thing: is that the, the the Fed had been putting treasuries into the market. Let's say the let, let's let's say round numbers. The Fed had put 800 billion treasuries back into the market after a QE program, and that's a lot of supply coming in the market. So it's like cash has to come from somewhere. So so what happened was, and this is outside of the repo market, is that U.S. Treasury um, bonds, notes, and bills um, be, became very cheap on the yield curve. And futures and swaps curves were were somewhat rich, so it created a large spread between treasuries and derivatives yield curves. And basically, you know, that's how the market was absorbing the the supply of treasuries at that point. And, and at the same time, we were running a budget deficit. So I mean, let's say ballpark round numbers, a trillion dollars a year. So. You know, so maybe that's a hundred billion dollars a month, ninety billion dollars a month. So that's a lot of treasury securities, and you know the spreads widen in the market. And, and basically, what happened there was that hedge funds, leverage entities, everybody was long treasuries hedged with with futures, and they, they everybody was trying to get as much balance sheet they could around the repo market because it was just a huge trade. They were owning treasuries, collecting coupons. And their their positions were very hedged. However, you do need that repo financing, and that, that you need stable financing for you know when you have a trade like that. 
And that's what happened in the repo market in September was, you know, that there were a lot of leveraged long positions and there's supply that kept coming into the market. And then basically the, the, the market blew up for, for a day or two and, and, and rates skyrocketed. So the Fed publishes this uh, data set called Secured uh, Overnight Financing Rate. It has volumes, repo volumes. And to your point, you can see that the SOFR volumes just kept going higher and higher as, as the hedge funds, they were basically absorbing those treasuries through repo financing. So it, it really was just re- tremendous demand uh, for repo financing. And I would also just step back a bit and help the audience understand a little bit more about what you mean about um, balance sheet constraints. Let's say if you're like a bank, you have a limit uh, depending on your capital as to how much balance sheet you have. You're kind of like a supermarket, so you can only put so many things on your store shelves. So, for example, if under current your current capital, maybe you have a balance sheet of a trillion dollars, so you can have a trillion dollars in assets. So. Within that $1 trillion in assets, you want to shuffle your assets and liabilities to maximize the amount of income you get. So if you're doing repo, let's say you're borrowing $100, billion, well, $100 million at 1% and then lending $100 million in reverse repo at 1.1%, that's taking up $100 million in balance sheet, but you're only earning, let's say, 10 basis points. So that's usually not a, not a really good business, not a really good use for your balance sheet since you only have so much. So banks kind of don't necessarily want to expand unless they can get other benefits from having this. And as Scott mentioned, some of that other benefits is just the relationship aspect of having, for example, maybe you can make this money off fees of your clients. So you provide a repo service to a hedge fund. It's not really profitable, but you can get income from other aspects of that relationship. So it's kind of like a loss leader in, in, in an extent. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to take your, um, your analogy one step further with the supermarket and think of a bank as all the, there's all those different departments at the supermarket. There's the meat department, the seafood department, the fresh vegetables, the canned goods, the, um, the, 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 um, the pet products. And all those different areas get um, allocated a certain amount of balance sheet, you know, usually once or twice a year by bank management. And so there all those different areas are basically trying to you know maximize their their balance sheet and their return. And of course, the, the fresh seafood you know counter is going to say, listen, we 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 should get all the balance sheet because we have the biggest spread. Um, but the canned goods department says, you know what? If if you don't have canned goods, people aren't coming in you know to the supermarket to shop. So. So, so, so there's, so it's, it's, it's a good analogy there. So, it, but for like a broker dealer like yourself, that's not under the leverage ratio. It's kind of like a really good opportunity, right? So, unlike a, a big, unlike let's say a Basel, a bank under Basel three, you have, I guess, less constraints in your floor space. So, you'd be able to come in and and uh, provide a service to these people who want repo, but wouldn't be able to get balance sheet from a bank because uh, maybe the bank is full, right? Yeah, I'm 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 gonna beat the dead cat one more. I'm gonna run over the dead cat one more time. And yeah, so um, so curvature securities where I work, you know, we're we're a sole purpose entity, and there's a few of us out there that are really just financing businesses, securities financing businesses. We're we're mostly repo matchbook business, kind of like you know being a specialty butcher. You know, we're we're not in the super supermarket, but you know we've got a a shop a, a, a couple doors away. And and we provide very specialty, high quality, you know, uh, good goods there. So, and, and Joseph, I I know what you're 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 steering me towards is that you know yes, as bank regulation increased, 
with Dodd-Frank and Basel III, there ended up, you know, sometimes you pre you present the market with a um, with a problem or you know with, with 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 something that needs to be solved, and the solution comes about. And like the the, the principals at Curvature Securities had a great idea in 2014, 2015 was why don't we start a broker dealer that just does repo? And and there's a few of us out there. So and it, it it it's been a great business. You know, we, we we've got a sole business. You know, no prop trading. You know, no risk trade taking. Just borrow and lend security. So, so a lot of the broker dealers, and, and it's interesting. The uh, hedge funds will call us. Um, you know, and, and the guys. You know, in 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 my, our our niche, uh, balance sheet providers. So, so basically, you know, a, a hedge fund goes to their prime broker, and their prime broker might say, "Listen, we're giving you a ten billion dollar you know limit as to how much balance sheet we allocate to you," and then. But they have trades where they want to do, you know, 12 billion or they need to do 15 billion, you know, to, to get the returns on the, the trades that they want. So they go to outside entities outside of their prime broker uh, like ourselves um, to, to, to get balance sheet to, so that they can kind of maximize their business. This episode is brought to you by BCB Group, Europe's leading provider of crypto-friendly business banking for institutions in the crypto space. They also provide trading services, allowing you to trade FX and cryptocurrency quickly and at scale. They specialize in efficient execution of large orders in illiquid markets. So if you are an institution looking to make high volume trades, you need to check out BCB Group because a great trade idea is worth nothing if you can't execute it. And that is exactly what BCB Group helps you to do. Their mission is to empower the global financial revolution through sustainable and innovative banking. Really glad to have them as a sponsor. So if you want to take control of your digital assets, please check them out at bcbgroup.com slash jack. That's bcbgroup.com slash jack. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. I understand uh, reverse repo. It's it's a money market fund. It's someone who wants to, to generate a return. When you say people... People who are actually on the repo, not reverse repo, people who are selling their securities and buying them back tomorrow or buying them back in a week. And you know, uh, you, you said, Scott, and Joseph, I've, I've read you right, that it's a it's a way to leverage up your position. You, you Instead of just owning treasuries as a cash investor, you can own it five to one, 10 to one. My question is, let's say I'm a, uh, on the repo side and Joseph is a money market fund on the reverse repo side. If I sold my treasury to Joseph at... It's $100. I sold it to him at $99. And then tomorrow I'll buy it back at $99.01. I don't own the, the treasury security. So how am I long that position? If Aren't I short a treasury if I, if I sell it and then have to buy it back tomorrow? That's a complicated thing in the repo market. And you said if I said, comp you said complicated thing that I should just keep going. Yeah. So I'm going to go. So a repo acts like a secured, a secured loan. So basically, it's borrowing, lending of cash versus lending and borrowing of securities. However, um, because of events that occurred in the 1980s, um, with um, you could always read more about it in my book, uh, Rogue Traders, that that just talks about Drysdale um, and, and and how they um, um, kind of blew up in the early 1980s in in, in the repo market. Um, basically, <clears throat> repo is legally uh, a buy and a sellback. So, 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 Jack, when when you look at repo and you say sell the securities at ninety nine, buy them back at at, at one, you know, te technically that's that's what a repo is based on the the legal agreement you sign. 
However, it's booked like borrowing and lending cash and lending and borrowing security. So, so you might, so, so, so Jack, in your example, you, you're a hedge fund, you're, you're leveraged, you have a hundred million dollars worth of a U.S. treasury. Let's say that that U.S. treasury is worth par, you know, 100 cents on the dollar. Um, and let's say that you're a hedge fund and, and, and Joseph as a money market fund wouldn't trade with you as a hedge fund because they, they, they can't, they, they, they need an intermediary. Um, but let's say he could, Joseph would say, I've got a hundred million dollars worth of cash. Um, can you give me a hundred million dollars worth of, uh, uh, of a security? And so, so that would be the, the transaction. Uh, you deliver your securities delivery versus payment to, uh, to Joseph's institutions, uh, uh, clearing account and, and, and you get cash. Thanks for clearing it up, Scott. It, it is complicated, but you actually made it a lot more simple. Now I want to ask, when repo rates spike like they did in September of 2019, what does that indicate? And when they collapse and are very, very low, like they have been over the past year, what does that indicate about uh, this, the both supply and demand for, for cash and collateral, as well as investors' appetite to go long and or short them? So, so starting with September 2019, so... Um, now, keep in mind with September 2019, rates spiked up, I, I don't remember offhand, 7% or something like that. You know, pic picture that's like a fire in a movie theater and everybody's trying to get out the door at, at the same time. And, and that was one of the largest one of the largest causes of September 2019. And the repo market was that between 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock and 8.30 in the morning when the repo market's very active, Everybody's trying to fund their positions or most of their positions, 80% of their positions. And as it turns out, there just was less cash during that period of time on that day. And so as um, more and more banks were trying to fund their positions and hedge funds were trying to fund their positions, like the, the, the actual end user cash just, just wasn't there. It wasn't coming in until later that day. So basically you had everybody running for the exit at the same time. And then, you know, once rates start moving a little bit, it kind of creates panic and people are hitting more bids and, and people are more panicky. And it ran rates all the way up to, I think, ballpark 7%. It might have been 9%, I, I forget. Um, but if you look at the end of the day, um, overnight repo rates closed, you know, maybe uh, with a little bit of pressure, like a little higher than they had been. So by the end of the day, there was enough cash in the market. It was really just between seven and eight thirty in the morning during the repo market prime time that there there, there just weren't a, a lot of cash investors that that, that, that wanted to invest at, at that particular time. Um, now taking us over, so, so that's a time. So that's think of that. That's a window. That's a window of time where there wasn't enough cash in the market, um, and it's just a window. So now take a look at. You know, over the last two years since, you know, uh, ZERP, the zero interest rate um, policy from, from the Fed, you know, dropped the um, Fed funds trading range between 0% and 25 basis points. And as the Fed, now, of course, the, the, the Treasury was doing a lot of issuance also. So, I mean, if, you know, just don't, don't want to do, be an Econ 101 uh, lecture, but the government spends money. It's putting cash into the hands of the public. Um, the, the government then issues debt to pay for that cash, um, but the Fed buys that, that debt. 
And the, the Fed is thus putting, when the Fed buys that debt, they're putting cash into the market. So, so the Fed put a lot of cash into the market and the overnight rates were down close to zero for, for a long period of time as the Fed kept, kept buying treasuries and taking them out of the market and putting cash in the market. Um, so, you know, so, so, so here's two great examples, you know, as, as you know, your, your questions were, you know, over a two, a two year period of time, the Fed put a lot of cash in the market. It drove rates down to, to, to near zero. Okay. And I just want, uh, want to be clear that I think when you say rates down to zero, you're referring to repo rates. So the, yeah. the yield on the two year could be two and a half percent, but the repo rate would on that to lend and borrow it and, and buy back would uh, uh, still be zero percent. Joseph, Scott brought up the reverse, the repo rate and the reverse repo rate uh, and the, those facilities by the Fed. And I know you've you've uh, written a lot about how the Federal Reserve uses that sort of as a floor and a ceiling to control the repo rate. Can you just give us a little insight into that? Yeah. So as as many of you know, the Fed has this facility. It's called the reverse repo facility. And what it does is that if you're a money market fund, you can basically lend a lot of money to the Fed in reverse repo. Um at, at the administered rate. So let's say the administered rate is 30 basis points. Then if you're a money market fund, you can always lend to the Fed at 30 basis points in reverse repo. And because you have that outside option, you're kind of reluctant to accept rates that are lower than 30 basis points. And that's a tool the Fed uses to put a floor on repo rates. But as we've also seen recently, though, it's a kind of a leaky floor. You have a lot of trades that go below the RRP. Just to give a little bit of, of context. So the repo facility, again, facility means the Fed, the repo facility from the Fed, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, that was instituted by the Fed after the repo rates spiked higher of, in September of 2019. And then the reverse repo facility was instituted, started by the Fed after there was the opposite problem, when there was not a shortage of cash, but too much cash and a shortage of collateral in the spring of 2021, is that right? Um, I think the RRP program was announced, and I don't know why I remember this, but I think it was announced in August 2013 and started in September 2013. And ironically, well, actually, maybe not, it's not ironically, but no surprise is that's the last time that overnight repo rates were down near 0%. Um, and you know the, the the Fed came up with a program where they can take cash out of the market and, and put collateral back into the market effectively. Um, so so kind of getting back. So you know so 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 on the RRP program, that's the reverse repo program or facility um, that's designed um, to take cash out of the market and put collateral back into the market. And you have uh, money market funds, generally kind of large, you know. Uh, cat re large cat institutional cash investors. So, so, so why would repo rates ever trade below 30 basis points right now, like they've been averaging at 28 basis points the, the last week or so? Um, and, and, and that's because, you know, not every participant in the repo market has access to the, to the RRP. So there's still a lot of cash out there that, that doesn't have access. Um, and that, that's one reason. Another reason is that, um, a lot of banks don't want to lose their funding with the money market funds. So they'll probably show them 30 basis points. The money market funds might say, we're okay taking 29 basis points just to keep business on. So, so, so there's also a situation where the banks 
want to keep the business on with um, with money funds and the money funds want to keep business on with 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 the Fed and they figure out a way to kind of meet in the middle. Um, and there's another factor, too, is that the RRP, I believe, is done around one o'clock or so, one uh, fifteen, um, you know, in, in the afternoon. And there's West Coast money that comes in and that West Coast money you know, tends to drive repo rates lower in the afternoon. Like, it, you know, if you look statistically, repo rates tend to, to, to drift lower as the day goes on. And a lot of that is there's there's West Coast um, institutions with cash that have already really missed the, the cutoff for the RRP and, and they go directly into the repo market. Okay, so sorry, what is the uh, re- reverse repo rate now from the Fed? It's uh, 30, it's set at 30 basis points. So um, previously, um, before March, it was set at five basis points. And as Joseph had said, you know, it's the it, it's the Fed's um, way of putting somewhat of a floor on, on on repo rates. Right. And Joseph, you, you said this months ago, so correct me if I'm wrong, but, but you've said that when people say the Fed is hiking rates, rates is either hiking by 25 basis points on paper, it is the federal funds rates. And that they have a target range and it's the effective rate, but really it's actually the repo and reverse repo market. And that's how they control those levers because the only people who, the only investors who in, do the Fed funds market anymore are people who can't access the repo market. Is that right? Uh, so the people in the Fed funds market are just home loan banks and they can do repo, but they're just not important. It, it has to, okay. it's so. It's Jack, you're exactly right that the RRP is kind of the tool that the Fed uses to really transmit monetary policy, because if the RRP rate is available to a wide range of participants, it's directly available to the money market funds, but indirectly available to other people. For example, I could put money in a money market fund, and the money market fund can then invest in the RRP. I won't get that full 30 basis points, but you know when it goes up, whatever I get, it's going to go up as well. So that's kind of how the Fed transmits policy. That added interest on reserves, but the RRP is, is more important since that's the one that we can all indirectly access. Okay, right. So Scott, the reverse repo rate from the Fed is 30 basis points. So investors, money market funds can get 30 basis points risk-free anytime they want now. So now I'm looking at a chart of overnight rates for the two-year treasury showing that four days ago on, or maybe three days ago on April 26th, uh, uh, rates for the, to to, to, uh, repo rates for the two-year were as low as negative 140 basis points. Why is that, why is that happening? Before we get into that, Scott should probably walk us through the difference between general collateral repo rates, which is what we've been talking about so far, and specials, which is Jack, your, where your question is heading towards. And this is kind of an important part of the repo market too. So uh, I guess I'll let Scott. Right, exactly. I- exactly. So, so, so far our conversation has been, you know, let, let, let's say about the, the, the private repo market, money funds, hedge funds that, that borrow and lend securities. And the aspect of the, the Fed's participation in the repo market. Um, and that's one aspect of the repo market. Another aspect of the repo market is what they call the specials. So they're the what they call the on-the-run issues. So on a uh, monthly basis, the, the, the Treasury Department issues new two-year notes, three-year notes, or three-year notes are, yeah, they are every month, um, five-year notes, 10-year notes, bonds. There's a regular auction schedule for all U.S. Treasury issues. And that's what they call the on-the-run treasury 
um, you know, or the current issue. Um, and and that, that that's the issue that's that's that, that's traded. So so, you know, when, when you go into the Treasury market, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of trading in the market. There's a lot of people that are buying and selling two year notes, three year notes. And that, that's where all the liquidity is. So 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 like the bid offer spreads for, for the on the run current issues are, are very, very tight. So you can get in and out of those issues very, very quickly and and, and with very low cost as opposed to an older issue that's, you know, maybe a few months old and there's much wider bid offer spread. So there's a lot of liquidity um, to buy and sell the, the current issues. Now, what happens also is that, you know, if you're hedging positions, so let's say that IBM just came out with a uh, new two-year bond and, and, and basically there's um, leveraged money that, that, that bought that position or there's bank dealers who um, have inventory and they're they're trying to sell those IBM two-year notes. Um, the street will, will will hedge with the current two-year note, or they'll they'll hedge with the security that that new issue is priced off of. So so in, in the market, if the IBM two-year bond is quoted um, to trade ten basis points above Treasuries, you know if if you want to hedge that that bond, you own that bond, you're going to short sell the the current two-year note. There's a lot of dynamics. They kind of run through the auction cycles, but um, what what happens in the treasury market is that you know, and you know, two-year notes have had a lot of shorts over the past couple of months because you know it, it's a good indication of, of where Fed policy is going. So if the Fed is tightening rates, um, a, a being short-selling a two-year note is kind of a, a good way to get short in in the marketplace. So 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 there's a lot of dynamics with the on-the-run issues um, and the buying and selling, but. What happens is, is that shorts will accumulate in the on the run and current treasury issues. And as shorts accumulate in those issues, they become um, there's more demand for them. So, so, so let's say that there's, you know, 10, um, 10 billion dollars worth of a two year note that was issued into the market. And there, there could be four or five billion dollars worth of short positions in that issue. Um, now, if there's $1 billion worth of short positions in that issue, uh, it probably doesn't trade very special. But when there's more demand for that treasury, for that specific US treasury issue, the current two-year note, when there's more shorts, it basically people have to, what they call pay a premium to borrow those securities. So, so you know, if you sold, if, if you short sold a security, um, you know, as, as a hedge or because you're, you know, you think rates are gonna go higher, um, you have to borrow that security back. And to borrow that security, you go to the repo market and basically borrow those specific securities in the repo market. Now, what happens is that, you know, when you want a specific security, it, you kind of have to pay a premium. And the premium that you're going to pay, so let's say general collateral rates are at 30 basis points. You know, maybe, you know, a, a two-year note that doesn't have a lot of short demand trades at 25 basis points. So you've got to pay a little premium to get that specific U.S. Treasury issue. Now, let's say that there are $5 billion worth of shorts in the two-year note. Well, that might trade at zero, a rate of zero, or it can even trade negative because people need to borrow that, that specific U.S. Treasury. There's a lot of demand and, and, and there's a lot less available in the market, and that will drive rates 
you know, to zero and, and can even make them negative. So if I'm a cash investor, like let's say I have a hundred million dollars and I just want to lend my cash in repo just to get a safe return, and I don't care whatever collateral I get as long as it's treasuries, then you know I'd I'd get what gen- the general collateral rate, right? Like thirty basis points. Sure. So but if right. I actually want to specify I want the two year because I want that to short it, then and there's a huge demand, then I'm gonna to have to be willing to accept a lower interest rate for my cash, right? So as you mentioned, uh, let's say if the general collateral rate is 30 basis points, maybe I'm willing to go to zero or negative because I just want the two year. It's not that I want to invest my money. What I really want is the two year to short. So that's that I pay for it by accepting a, a lower interest rate, right? Exactly, exactly. So a low interest rate indicates a, a high appetite for borrowing and a high appetite to short treasuries. So the fact that the two-year note uh, three days ago had a bid as low as negative 140 basis points, does that indicate that people want to short treasuries and they're, they're, and they're doing so? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily want to short treasuries. It means that there are shorts in the current two-year note. And, and it does vary by sector. So, so, so currently for the past two months, there's been a lot of shorts in the short end of the treasury curve. So there's been a lot of short positions in treasury bills and in two-year notes because there people are expecting the, the, the Fed to raise rates. And you know, what also happens too is that if you're expecting rates to move higher or there's a large risk of rates increasing, you're also a little bit more diligent to hedge your positions than, than you were previously. Um, you know, if, if you've got a declining market, um, you, you might, you know, hedge, you know, hedge part of your position, maybe not all of it, but, but when you have a market like we have now, uh, people are very tight with their, with their hedges. Um, so, um, so, so long positions are, tend to be hedged right around now. And there's, you know, speculative shorts and there's just, and then there's, there's just a lot of market activity right now. There's buyers and sellers and, and, and two year notes moving around and, you know, it just it 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 creates um, dislocation. Securities moving around, you know, does create um, more, um, you know, less supply in the market, more more demand. Do you get a sense that if like it's something is really special, let's say the two year is really special now, that that has an impact on what the two year yields are? Like, if it becomes more difficult to short, does that mean that it's less likely to for the two year to further sell off, or in your, in your experience? So, so what happens is there, there's, there's traders out there and, and they're watching the treasury market and they're watching the OIS swaps market or euro dollar futures. And they're, you know, they're watching the spreads like we talked about a little bit earlier, a couple of years ago, where treasuries were cheap and, um, and, and, and the um, uh, futures were, were rich. So, so there's traders out there watching every little movement. So... You know, if you're if if you're long a two-year note and you're carry, you know, which is owning the security and repoing it out, you get a very low interest rate. You know, to to loan your your treasury, it it affects the 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 value of that treasury. It makes it more valuable. Um. So 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 what happens is that is that there's there's traders out there that are just they are watching repo rates and prices of two-year notes, and so. When when rates get that low, it's, it it starts to be priced into the market, um, and you know some outright traders are are a little quicker to to to, to see you know when when repo rates get distorted, and and some are a little slower. Um, but 
but there's people watching that all the time and, and arbitraging those markets. As you mentioned, Scott, there's kind of like this auction cycle, right? Where something that's newly issued because there's more demand for it, you'd expect there to be repo rates to be more special. Then as it gradually, um, I guess, seasons, then you'd expect it to be less demand. So there, there's kind of like this wave, like seasonality to it, depending on... Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that that can be a whole out discussion <laughs> on its own. Uh, Scott, let, let's get to the crux of the matter, which is... Now that quantitative tightening or balance sheet runoff approaches, how do you, uh, uh, how strong do you think the repo market will be to withstand the pressures of bank reserves flooding out of the market and treasuries flooding into the market? You know, I, what the, what was the actual balance sheet reduction the, the last time uh, runoff happened? Something around seven hundred billion, I think. You know, so, now that's going to be three three to four times larger yeah, a balance sheet runoff. You know what? What can can the can the repo market withstand that? Uh, so let me tell you what's going to happen. Okay. And not a lot of people agree with me, but I see it as clear as day. I mean, it is so clear. Um, this is what's going to happen. Um, so as the Fed starts balance sheet runoff, and they they may just let securities mature. They they, they might sell securities. I, I think they're just going to let securities mature, and that's. 90 billion, 95 billion of securities coming into the market every month. Um, if you take the, the, the government um, budget deficit, let's ballpark that at a, 100 billion in net new treasuries coming into the market. So, you know, let's say you've got 200 billion of securities coming into the, into the market. But here's what's going to happen. First step is the, the RRP is going to drain. So there's 1.8 trillion in the RRP. So let's say $200 billion a month. Um, that, that's, that's going to, that's, that's going to drain first. Um, and then once the RRP is pretty much down to nothing, then there's going to be net U.S. treasuries coming into the market. That's not going to be absorbed by the RRP, um, cash at that point, which is in about a year from now, um, in 2023, you're going to see a migration of, um, overnight repo rate. Um, where it is now, it's at the bottom of the Fed Fund's target range at 28 basis points. The, the target range is between 25 basis points and 50 basis points. Um, that re overnight repo rate is going to migrate to the top of the range. As Treasury supply keeps coming in the market, repo rates, there, there's, there's going to be higher rates that are needed to, to, to fund it. Um, so then repo rates are going to go to the, the, the top of the range. So let, let's say that you know, we, we were in, you know, where we are now, um, then repo rates will be um, potentially 50 basis points in, in relative terms, you know, sometime in, you know, w w once repo rates migrate to the, to, to the top of the range. Then what's going to happen is it's, it's going to be a mirror reflection, pretty much, of all the cash that's in the RRP program right now is that primary dealers are going to be going to the Fed for the RP program um, and putting treasuries in the RP program because repo rates, they're gonna be a little bit above the top of the Fed funds target range because uh, the market needs to fund all these treasuries. So, so I say in two years, you're gonna have overnight repo rates above the Fed funds target range and you're gonna have hundreds of billions of dollars in the, in the um, repo facility every day. 
that so basically the hedge fund community will absorb the issuance then and fund it in repo as you suggested earlier just like we just like we had in 2019 exactly that's and then treasuries are going to be cheap on the curve relative to um, to futures and and, and swaps and we're, we're going to be back to to where we were maybe even and then some. Scott, thanks so much for, for joining us. And uh, we'd love to have you back. It's been, it's been great hearing sure. your perspective. Any, anytime, anytime. Remember, follow Scott on Twitter. And Scott is the author of multiple books that you guys have to check out. Um, Scott, do you have like a, um, I guess, books handy to show or? Yeah, so, um, you know, so I have three books. They're all up on Amazon. Um, More Rogue Traders, which, which is my best book. Rogue Traders is really good. Um, there's a book on MF Global, uh, which is called The Money News, which, which is good. Um, you know, all those great stories about traders and making mistakes and markets and the, 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 the gold market and, you know, and, and, and derivatives. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a bunch of short stories and, and very educational um, for anybody who's in, interested in the markets. And there may be even a book of, uh, about the repo market. Uh, coming out in uh, nine months or so. Nice. I'm a buyer of that book. Scott, thanks so much for joining us and uh, talk to you soon. Thank Bye, you. Scott. Okay, great. Bye. Hey, Joseph, can you hang on for a few minutes? Yeah, what's up? Well, I, I feel like he said that the reverse repo is going to fully absorb all of the uh, the treasuries being released off the Fed's balance sheet as well as you know, issued by the treasury. But isn't it true that those money market funds can really only buy non-coupon securities, very short-term stuff. Okay, I get what you're asking. So I think what Scott was saying is that, so right now, money market funds, they have a lot of cash and they don't have anywhere to lend it, right? So they're just depositing it in the reverse repo facility. You have, I think it's about 1.8 trillion right now. I think Scott's view is that uh, once we have more, the supply of treasuries and agency MBS to the private sector increases, what will happen is that a lot of the hedge fund investors will buy them. And how will the hedge fund investors finance them? They will finance them in the repo market. So let's say um, the Fed does a trillion dollars in QT, then what that would imply then is that Scott would think that it uh, the hedge funds would buy a trillion dollars of that those securities and they would fund them in the repo market. So the money market funds, instead of lending to the RRP, will take that money and then they will lend to the hedge funds instead. So that would drain the RP, and it will also uh, explain how the upcoming issuance and in, in treasuries and agency MBS will be absorbed by the market. And I think his view further is that what would happen is that eventually the RP will be completely drained. And so then where would the hedge fund community get their financing from since issuance is expected to continue the deficit of course is is it's like one to two trillion dollars forever going forward so the fed has this repo facility jack which you hinted at and what the repo facility is it's basically the opposite of the reverse repo facility the reverse repo facility is that if you have excess cash you can deposit it at the fed the repo facility is if you want cash you can borrow it from the fed in repo as long as you provide treasury or agency MBS collateral. So what what could happen is that, let's say the Fed and the Fed has QT and the treasury continues to issue lots of treasuries, then the hedge funds could continue to buy that and fund them by indirectly borrowing from the Fed's repo facility. So hedge fund A, let's say buys a billion dollars in treasuries, 
gets the financing from a primary dealer who then gets financing from the Fed's RP facility. And the Fed's RP facility is essentially unlimited. So it's a way that the Fed could eventually provide unlimited repo financing uh, to the street. And uh, so that's probably not something that would happen. And so to drain the RRP, it has $1.8 trillion. It's probably going to take a while. And if things play out, we probably wouldn't see our Fed's repo facility take up increase until probably a couple of years from now. But we'll see. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a good idea. So it, definitely something that could happen. Right. But let's say the Treasury issues a 10-year note that just expired or matured on the Fed's balance sheet. It has to refinance. Uh, can the reverse repo? Can someone in the who is currently in the reverse repo and let's say has a billion dollars there? Can they buy that ten year note? No, no, no. So what happened? The, the hedge fund buys it, and then the money market fund lends the cash to buy it. So the money market fund ah. is lending a repo loan. It's not actually buying it itself. It's just lending a repo loan, um, ultimately to the hedge fund who buys it. But there's an intermediary that sits in between. That's the dealer. So um, the hedge fund will buy it. And then they would repo it with a dealer who would then repo it to a money market fund. So the money market fund just has a repo loan that it's lending out. It doesn't actually buy the uh, tenure note itself. Uh, that makes sense. Well, well, Joseph, I should let you go uh, soon, but I just want to give viewers a little bit of a glimpse into what we're going to be uh, doing next week, which is you know an action-packed week. The FOMC meeting uh, will, will culminate, culminate on Wednesday. Uh, do you want to tell viewers a little bit about who who we're speaking with next week? Oh, we're going to have yeah, we're going to have some of the best Fed watchers on. Jack, I'm very excited about it. Um, first, of course, we're going to have Daniel Deparnino Booth, who is a former Fed insider. She has a great book out called Fed Up, and of course, she's a very high level person um, at the Dallas Fed. And of course, and on FOMC Day, we're in for a real treat. We have Jim Bianco joining us live to debrief everyone about what's happening um, after the Fed's meeting. And that day, it's not just the Fed's meeting; it's also a very important day for Treasury refunding. So the U.S. Treasury at that day is going to review its plans and how it's going to finance itself. So it's going to be a huge day for the Treasury market, and we have just the right people to 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 talk us through. So Jack, I'm really really looking forward to next week. Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it too, Joseph. And you, know, you and Jim Bianco, I think, have both really been leading the charge since November, December of last year that the Federal Reserve's primary goal and perhaps only goal is to fight inflation and that its fears about unemployment ticking up or a recession or the S&P crashing 3%, it does not care at all about that. Um, so you know, now that you and Jim have been right for so, so right for so long, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you guys: Do you still think that is the case? Um, and we'll have we'll have to wait and wait and see until until Wednesday. Till Wednesday. Till Wednesday. All right. Thanks so much, Joseph. Thanks, Jack. Thanks.